Welcome to If Not Us, the podcast for changemakers. I'm your host, Sarah Ackerman, and today on the show, we have Director of Operations at Plywood People, Tuary Butler. We talk about living a life of service, the late Congressman John Lewis, and why betting on yourself is always a good idea. I hope you enjoy. So welcome, Tuary. I am so excited to talk to you about all of the things and all of uh, all of what brought you here today, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, to start us off, can you tell us about your background, including working with the incredible Congressman John Lewis? Absolutely. Uh, Sarah, first, I I need to say thank you for allowing me to share a little bit of my story on your platform. I'm excited uh, to have a conversation with you. And like you said, my name is Tuary Butler. I was uh, born in Boston, Massachusetts and raised in Washington, D.C. and came to Georgia for school. Um, I went to Spelman College and two years out of being a graduate, I was supposedly taking a gap year. That didn't work out because I was going to go to law school, but I was working at King and Spalding Law Firm as a document clerk. And Congressman John Lewis called me at work and asked me if I wanted to come and um, interview to be a part of his team. And his office was right down the street. So I jumped at the opportunity and said, I can be there in an hour. Or, or or less if you want me to. <laughs> and I interviewed with him, um, had three interviews, and then was hired on in uh, the summer of 98 as a staff assistant. And this is an interesting tidbit because people always ask, well, wait a minute, what do you mean he called you at work? How did he even get your resume? Did you apply for this job? And the answer is no. I Um, When I was in college, I used to work on campaigns for uh, local politicians. And at the time, uh, the former mayor, um, Kasim Reed, was was running for office and council. And um, he would pay college students in food, which is a hot commodity for a college student. (laughs) And um, I was a little bit... uh, Aggressive, or I guess just a go getter, and was like, you know, I appreciate the pizza, and I would also like it if you could take my resume. And if something comes across your desk when you, if you think of me, can you pass my resume along? Well, three years later, he did, um, and he passed my resume along to Congressman Lewis, and that's how the congressman got my resume. So that's amazing. Yeah. A little, you know, I don't know, um, inspiration moment. You Sometimes money isn't always the end-all be-all, but relationships and, and just asking, putting yourself out there and asking for something seemingly impossible, you'd be surprised that people will remember. So that's how I got to Congressman Lewis's office. And like I said, I started as a staff assistant. Um, basically, I was at the bottom um, in terms of, you know, newly hired and and learning the ropes and and had to work my way up uh, and figure out how to navigate working in a district office and then ended my 22-year career with him um, running his Atlanta office and serving as his district director. That's amazing. Um, That had to be such a, like, he was such an influential person and such an incredible force that, like, working in, like, just in his... uh, just like in his area, like being like in his presence had to be just like an incredible experience. Absolutely. I mean, it it was never a dull moment. And I, I think about him honestly every day. 
uh, all of the um, nuggets of wisdom that he imparted, not only into me, but, you know, our our entire staff and um, the fifth district and in the country, in the world, um, you know, now I have, um, it's on constant recall, some of the, the lessons and things that he taught me in terms of being intentional and making sure that people uh, feel seen and are heard. Um, and you give them space to um, express themselves and to appreciate the difference of opinions, uh, but still respect the difference of opinions. Um, he was an avid news junkie. <laughs> so he he knew more news than, than we did. And we had smartphones. He had a flip phone. I will go on record and say, but he, it's amazing because he would get up at the crack of dawn and watch, you know, the news outlets on cable television and, and read the Washington Post and the New York Times. Um, and he still knew more than we did. And we had everything at our disposal, at our fingertips uh, with the smartphone. But he he always read more than we could ever. And I, I still don't know how he did that. That's a mystery that I would love to know the answer to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and it seems like all of those lessons, uh, whether intentional or not, uh, not knowing no one can predict the future, but like it, it helped you land where you are today. Can you tell us more about Plywood? Absolutely. Uh, Plywood People is a nonprofit leading a community of startups doing good. So making some sort of social impact in their sphere of influence. And uh, again, my my inter first interaction with Plywood um, was several years ago when the, the mural of the congressman on Auburn Avenue was uh, debuted and someone um, who was familiar with Plywood hit me up on Instagram and was like, oh, you know, Plywood people just just posted the, the mural of the congressman. And I was like, what is a wood company doing posting a picture of the congressman? And I was like, what? so that was my first time hearing Plywood people. OK, so then fast forward to 2016, um, Jeff Schinnenbarger, who's the founder and creator of Plywood People, uh, called the congressman's office. And at the time, our, our scheduler and executive assistant was was out of the office. So I answered the phone and um, he was asking uh, if the congressman would participate in their annual conference, Plywood Presents, that's held every August. And so... Um, I took all of the information, did some research on Plywood People, and was like, "Oh, they're not a wood company; they're they're an organization." So then I go to the congressman. And I'm like, "Congressman, you know, uh, Jeff and Plywood People want you to speak at their conference." I said, "You know, one, this organization is in the business of doing good, so that's right up your alley. Uh, two, this organization is in your district. Another box check." And three, it's going to be held at the Tabernacle, which is right down the street from our from our office. So, and it's in August during district work period when you're going to be home. So why don't why don't you do this? And he was like, okay, Tori, let's let's do it. So he said yes to that. And then, of course, something came up and pulled him away, and he had to get on a plane. And so I called Jeff and was like. I am so sorry. He's not going to be able to attend the conference. Is there any way 
that we could record maybe his talk or if you're going to do an interview. And he was like, yes, he can come to our, our location and we'll, we'll set it up and we'll do an interview. So it was him, Jeff and Lecrae who interviewed the congressman. And I said, well, you know, I will drive him there myself. Um, because I felt really bad that, you know, this opportunity changed in such a way. So the interview went great. And then as a thank you, um, I was able to go and take one of our interns to the conference. And it, it was amazing. We certainly enjoyed ourselves hearing from different leaders and, and um, thought influencers around the city of Atlanta speaking into this community of people who want to do good and make a difference. And so um, that just, you know, plywood people started to be on my radar even more. And then a year later, Jeff called me again and I was thinking to myself, you know what? I should have given him the scheduler's information because I know that he probably wants a congressman to do something else, but he did not. He wanted me to come and meet with him because he wanted to ask me if I would consider joining the board. And so that was in 2017 that I joined the board of Plywood People and served in that capacity as a board member for two and a half years before um, they asked me to join as director of operations. And the timing of everything um, happened in a way that, you know, it was a it made my transition uh, after the congressman's passing uh, more palatable. Right. Right. Especially. Yeah, you were in that position and you were working with him for how many years? 22. I was his longest serving employee. That's a like a huge just impact on your soul. Like not even just like it's not a job at that point, but it's like right. knit into the fabric of who you are as a person. And so to lose that, like, but to be able to transition to, to uh, like I've had the pleasure of coming to some of the Plywood events, including Plywood Presents, and you walk away so inspired, like yeah. just drunk on inspiration that the, uh, making that transition, like it's, it doesn't make it okay, but it makes it a little less hard. I could imagine. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, one, I'm still doing, uh, things that are in my wheelhouse and that is serving other people. Um, two, this team is outstanding and we've been able to, to grow, uh, since I've been here and adding on to our team. So now we're a mighty team of six where, you know, when I started, we were a mighty team of four. Um, and this team is just outstanding when it comes to the care and compassion, not only for the work that we get to do every day, but for each other. And so um, it made my transition you know, it, while it was very difficult, I had a lot of things going on in 2020, not only with the congressman's passing, but also with my husband contracting COVID-19 in the very early stages and um, almost losing his life. It, it was just a lot going on all at one time. Um, and this team was was very, uh, they, they were a lifesaver for me. So yeah, I, I appreciate them and love them dearly. So tell me about the future that uh, your team is looking to create through Plywood. Uh, The future, I mean, you know, I think the past two years, it it was all about sustainability as we were, you know, witness to several organizations and companies throughout the city of Atlanta, but also throughout the country 
um, you know, closing their doors. And we yeah. want to make sure that, you know, now in this moment of the term being thrown around now is the great resignation where people are taking inventory and, and doing a, a self check within themselves of, do I want to work for this company or do I want to do something on my own? Well, it has positioned Plywood to be in a unique space and given us a unique opportunity to continue to educate, nurture, and support people who have an idea, um, who want to do some sort of good in the world, and to make sure that we come alongside them and help them get their idea from clouds to concrete and also to sustain and, and ask those hard questions so that they are a viable and, and sustainable organization or company. So we do that through our programming um, that we have at Plywood People. We do that through our co-working space that we have at Plywood Place, where uh, we offer uh, three tiers of co-working, whether you have an office or a dedicated desk or you're just a commuter. Um, and you get access to our space, to our community, to our network of advisors. And also you get um, first dibs and discounts on our, our um, programs that we offer, our conferences and, and uh, events that we're able to do in-house. So um, really it's just about making sure that we continue um, doing the work that we've set out to do and the vision that that Jeff had for Plywood People 12 years ago, but also making sure that our neighbors know who we are and what we do um, and making sure that we further solidify our voice as a social entrepreneur hub. And we're, we're trying to push that forward as best we can. So this might be a difficult question to uh, answer for all of the organizations that you're working with, but what are the barriers that you routinely see getting in their way as you take it, like you said, from clouds to concrete, which I love that phrase. <laughs> well, that's not my phrase. I, I can't take, I can't, I can't take a credit for that. I think that was Jeff's phrase, um, but I like it. And it, it, it helps uh, give a true and accurate picture of what I'm talking about when someone has an idea and they're like, oh, but I don't know what to do. I think some of the barriers that most of the organizations and, and people who come through our doors are, are faced with are, you know, uh, one capital. Uh, so we, we have programming and we have people to speak into how to fundraise, how to ask for, you know, make the ask and not to be afraid. And you have to be your biggest cheerleader because it's your idea that you're putting out there. So you need to make sure that you believe it. Um, and storytelling is another component that I see as a barrier, people not knowing how to get their story out there. And it's more than just creating a, a dope social media post, but how do you, how do you um, culminate that following? How do you get people talking about it, either through word of mouth or just, you know, a post that's just outstanding where someone's sharing it constantly. And there are different aspects to storytelling. So we've been able to pull on some of our friends, our advisors, who are incredible at storytelling to share their best practices. Another thing, um, what I'm finding this year, uh, specifically as you know, um, a result of 2021 and with the great resignation is how to keep 
staff and how to acquire staff. And so I think we're in a very unique time where it's not, you know, you go to work for a company or organization and it's not just pushing the paper. It's not just getting the thing done, but are you encompassing your employee or team member in totality as a, as a human being? So it's not separate, like, oh, this is work tuary and then I'm home tuary, but we've seen because we're working from home, a lot of us still, or working from co-working spaces, are you encompassing and encouraging that full person to be their authentic self and emotionally intelligent leadership is coming into play more and more. And I think that's something that, you know, we're seeing as a barrier, uh, not only for organizations that are are still running and operating, but for those coming up and thinking about how they want to build out their team, what does that culture look like? And so we try to come alongside them to to make sure that they're hitting those those marks and those buckets so that there are no gaps. That is a lot to learn for someone that has a just is really passionate about a great idea to learn how to ask for money, which is terrifying. Yes. Even if it is something that you are so proud of and you are so excited of, money's weird. And uh, asking for it is probably one of the scariest things you can do. Yeah. Uh, and learn how to storytell, which yeah. is not easy. And on top of all of that, like be a emotionally fit leader where you know where your weaknesses are, who you need to hire. Like that is so much to ask. And it's wonderful that um, y'all have a like a system in place to like help folks develop each of those skill sets. Because I don't know if a lot of folks who like have a big idea that want to change the world know that those are things that they're going to need to focus on. Instead of like, oh, I can do one of those things, but all three is, that's a lot to juggle. Right. I mean, and then, you know, that even begs the question of, you know, like you said, it's a lot for one person to juggle. And so then it, you know, really makes the person think like, okay, that's who I need to add to my team. If I'm not, if I'm the visionary and this is my skill set to cast vision, to, to get the, the idea moving, well, who should be my first hire? And it helps them to narrow down, okay, I might need an operations to come, uh, operations person to come alongside me so that I can continue to cast vision, but I have someone who's, uh, you know, just as capable to run the organization, but getting those foundational pillars in place that you need to have in order to be successful. Right. Or, oh, storytelling, like maybe that's not a hire for someone. You might not have the finances to do it, but it's interesting because our programming is a lot uh, cohort driven. And so you're not just taking these classes or going through our, our curriculum by yourself. You're with a cohort of other people. And it's amazing to see the organic and genuine connections that take place. And then you you have this sense of, it's not just me by myself. I have a cohort of 10 or 12 people. And people then say, well, you know what, Sarah, I can go ahead and help you with that because I'm, I'm a whiz at marketing. Can you help me with this? And so you see that that barter system come into play and it's beautiful. It's so many of the people that we talk to either on this podcast or that we get to work with uh, talk about like the coalition building that has to happen. And yeah. those cohorts seem like a perfect place to 
if you're operating in similar spaces to start building that, but seeing how you approach things in different ways, but also to like, like you said, like lean on each other to get the the help that you need when you can't potentially like afford a new hire to like handle this one very specific thing. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So to kind of like change gears a little bit, um, like this section we're calling like change maker to change maker. Like, so it's making change and creating a better future is uh, just so hard. It is hard work. It is difficult. It is not all like, oh, we saved puppies and like saved the world today. Cause like, uh, it's, it's just, it's a lot of struggle and that's okay. So, yeah. um, what have you learned along the way, whether it's just at plywood or even through all of your years of service? Two things, um, specifically my years of service with the Congressman and, and even here, I've been able to attribute, uh, in my day-to-day at Plywood is that people want to be heard and they want to feel seen. You know, a lot of times, especially, you know, entrepreneurs, it's, it's a lonely road. People in leadership, it's it's lonely, you know? Um, and so giving people the space to to be heard and to feel seen is a game changer. It, it can change the trajectory of someone's day or change the trajectory of someone's outlook on, you know, something that they're facing, a challenge that they have to go through, uh, knowing that they have a support. And that doesn't mean that you come in and fix it. It's just letting people know that that they matter. That's something that I, I took from the congressman. I would watch him endlessly in, in back-to-back meetings, we would have constituent days where people, it was just a rotating door of people coming in for 15, 30-minute meetings. And in that time period, no matter what was being discussed, he was locked in. And I think, especially in this day and age where we're so busy, we're multitasking so much in order to get down to that basic need of of human connection of do you hear me? Are you do you see me? That's that's a change maker that I, I think needs to be revisited uh, from from people uh, often, and and we shouldn't get away from that because it's fuel for us. We've seen in this pandemic how the isolation and us working on our own and not being around community, we were not built to to be isolated. We were built to be in community. So that's one. And then another thing I've learned is that things are constantly moving and changing. So you have to be pliable as a a teammate, as a leader, as as a person running an organization or, or thinking of an idea. You have to be pliable to the changes. And that means to hold your hands open loosely because if you have your hand in a ball, you can't put any, if you wanted to give me money, Sarah, right now, and I'm giving you my fish, you can't put any money in there. I could fit like a quarter between your knuckles and be like, that's all I got. That's all. <laughs> yeah. But you're limiting yourself by not having an open hand. And so my approach to, to life and my approach to, to work is keeping my hands open and to be pliable so that I'm, if I need to pivot, then I can pivot. And not being so rigid that I'm like, it's this way and this way only because that is not our reality. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. Is there, like going along the same lines, is there any advice that you would give to younger you? 
uh, take the chance. I, the younger me was very much, um, if it's not in my date book or in my journal, then I'm not doing it. And um, like I said, you know, my goal after graduating from Spelman was to take a year off and then go to law school and then move back to D.C. and become a patent attorney. And none of what I put in my journal. <laughs> now, that's not to say it won't happen. It doesn't happen like that for some people. I mean, some people make that that work. But I, I think my life would not ha- be as interesting as it is if I was so rigid. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. I would tell the younger me to to go and and be fearless in taking those opportunities. That doesn't mean that you won't feel the trepidation or hesitation or even feeling apprehensive about an opportunity, but don't cut yourself out of experiencing something new. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, is there anything you would say to aspiring change makers? Do it scared. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a like you're never gonna be fully prepared for any of this. No. No. And I mean, you know, people can listen to this and be like, oh, that's easy for her to say, because you're looking at what I've said I've accomplished now. Right. However. Every step of the way, when I interviewed with the congressman, I was nervous. When he gave me my first project to do, which was a big deal at the time, it was to do a forum for veterans who were experiencing PTSD, and uh, which is post-traumatic stress disorder and um, traumatic brain injury. They weren't being recognized by the VA administration as a service-connected disability. So he was like, I think we should shed light on this because we have so many men and women coming back from um, Operation Desert Storm and Iraqi Freedom, and even you know veterans from who served in the Vietnam War who have PTSD or traumatic brain injury, and so it's not the tangible disability, right? You can't see it. It's not like you got shot in the hip and you see where the the wound is. It's it's in your it's in your neuroses, your your mind, right? And so, you know, he tasked me with this and I'm a young staffer and fairly new. Now I I was a staff assistant with veteran affairs underneath my belt or in my portfolio of my, as my responsibility. And I was like, Congressman, are you sure you want me to do this? And he was like, Tueri, you wouldn't be here if I didn't think you were qualified. So just do it. So you know, that meant I had to call on the administrators at the VA. I I called on uh, former beloved Senator Max Cleland. Um, I called on some of our constituents and had a forum um, right off of Scott Boulevard, uh, close to the VA to shed light to the situation. And, and after that forum, it changed the trajectory of how the VA was um, looking at those cases for PTSD and TBI and those men and women coming back were able to get service-connected benefits. But I had to do it scared. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The theme that I'm hearing from you is also like, don't say no to yourself. Like, put yourself out there and don't be the person to, like, 
go for the interview, go for the thing, go for the job, the opportunity, whatever that is. And if it's not meant to be, let someone else say it, not stop yourself from making a chance. Yeah. I mean, just walk it out. It's even like people ask me all the time, well, how, you know, how comfortable are you now working in a nonprofit where you spent 22 years of, of your career in politics? Well, essentially, in every line of work, for the most part, you're dealing with people, mm-hmm. right? In some way, shape, or form, whether they're your client, whether you're, you know, they're your patient, um, whether they're your constituent, whether they're a, a community of startups. And so if you look at it at the human level of I am working with people every day, then the transition isn't that great. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. So work like this can be absolutely exhaustive and all consuming. Um, How do you balance? uh, I know there's not really like a line between work to area and like home to area, but what is, how do you keep yourself balanced between like the work and the play? Um, you know, before I was not good at balancing that it was work all consuming. And that was because, you know, as working in politics, you're dealing with people's lives on the other end of that piece of legislation or that bill that you're trying to pass. Um, And then working in a district office, you're at home telling the constituent how this bill now affects your your livelihood or, or, or your children's livelihood or your children's children. Um, and here, you know, we're constantly trying to make sure that the word gets out that we're, we're open and, and um, you can come and work here and we're a community that nurtures and supports startups um, and, and people who have an idea. And, you know, sometimes that comes with challenges when they're going through things and you're trying to you know, figure out, well, how can we best help them? Um, So the balance for me is taking a break when I need to. I wasn't always good at that. (laughs) Um, My husband can attest to that, where I was burnt out, you know, quite frequently. Um, But now I am stepping into this space of, I cannot be effective if I am not in a place of rest, if I am, if my cup is not full. So that might mean that I work from home one day or I, I come in later one day um, or, you know, taking my vacation time, um, which is something that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I have the vacation time. I'll just let it pile up or I don't have time to take vacation. It's never a good time to take vacation, but those are some, some things that, you know, I find for me is necessary in order for me to refuel and to reset. Um, Now we're in this age of self-care. And I think before when the term was being thrown around, people were like, yeah, self-care, that's just an excuse. No, it is a necessity. And whatever that looks like for a person, whether it's going to get a mani and a pedi or sitting outside and reading a book for their lunch hour, whatever that thing is to to get you back to center, you have to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's so important. Um, So 
uh, if folks are inspired listening to you, uh, how can they support your work at Plywood People? Well, they can come and visit us. We love to give tours and and uh, let people try out the space. You can also look at our website, plywoodpeople.com. We have all of our programming um, opportunities online for you to peruse. And if you ever have a question, you can hit us up at info at plywoodpeople.com. We also launched a podcast in uh, August for social entrepreneurs called um, Plywood. It's on all social platforms, Spotify, Apple. What else is there? I don't know. I, I don't know. All of um, but yeah, there's plenty of ways to get involved. And if, if you are someone who wants to come to one of our events, Plywood uh, Presents will be August 11th and 12th of 2022. And we're back in Plywood Place. Um, we were able to do it here last year and it worked beautifully. And so we're going to do it again. So check out for that and follow us on social media at Plywood People on Instagram. And we have a Facebook page. So all the things you can kind of keep tabs with us. And then lastly, we do a, a newsletter every Friday called the Friday Five, where we highlight things that are going on in Plywood, but also in our neighborhood and with our friends um, who give us uh, things to post about. So that's another way you can sign up for our newsletter and be a part of that. Oh, that's awesome. So if someone's listening that's not in the general Atlanta area, is there a is there something that they can do to help support uh, organizations in their area? I know that seems like kind of a vague question, but like, uh, is it just like supporting your friends and making sure that they know that they are seen, heard, valued, and their ideas are good? Or is there anything else that they can do to help like uplift these change makers? Um, I think, you know, coming alongside people and just being that honest soundboard for, for people is, is necessary. I mean, like, like we said, you know, if you're starting out, um, with an idea, you might not have the finances to hire a whole team, right? But if there's a trusted friend that you have, if that friend is honest um, and compassionate, because it's hard work uh, supporting a change maker and um, it can get lonely at times. And I, I think the best thing to do, especially now, is to be there for people. Um, support them how you can, whether it's posting about, you know, the the things that they're doing or events that they're having or making um, a financial investment of some sort. It doesn't have to be a thousand dollars. It could be five dollars. It could be a cup of coffee to get them through the day, surprise them or, um, you know, share about what they're doing. Just being supportive. I think people need to feel supported during these times, especially. Oh, for sure. Well, this has been just a wonderful conversation. I appreciate your time and your energy and your thoughtfulness and all of the things so much. Um, thank you. Thank oh, you're you, so you. welcome. You're so welcome. Thank I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you again to Tuweri for sharing your knowledge and your time. If you've got someone that you think would be a great guest for the show, drop us a line at ifnotus.tv. And please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Remember, change belongs to everyone.